before you finish the Bible. And today we are in Revelations 10 through 13. And, you know, when I read this, it reminds me how people, you know, because if we don't read it with an open mind, this this stuff can get people wary. It can get people confused. So today I hope to shed some light on what happens. Today we get the uh, some history, we get some remembrance, some flashback of what has already taken place in the world. We get the origin of Satan. We get the fact that people that follow Jesus will be persecuted, which is what John is saying in this revelation God has given him. We get the uh, potential reasoning for a lot of things in this, you know. And we can delve into it, like I keep saying, and get a lot, a lot of apocalyptic out of it, too. But that's not our purpose on the Daily Walk. Our Daily Walk is to just bring enlightenment to you through what it is. So... Critics beware, that's not what we're here for. We're here to bring light to the word. And we start off with that in Revelations 10 because John saw a mighty angel, it says, coming down from heaven surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And, uh, you know, we see that in photos. A lot of times we see photos and it's actually, I remember seeing pictures of Jesus with a, a rainbow over his head. And that's probably from this passage, if I had to guess, or people are just being uh, creative with it, because it says his face shone like the sun and his feet were like pillars of fire and his hands, in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with a right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. You remember Jesus is described like the lion of Judah, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. So when he starts to speak, when the seven thunders spoke, John's about to write it down. This, This part I really like. And the voice from heaven said, keep secret what the seven thunders say and do not write it down. (laughs) What's that mean? Well, that means that there are some things we just aren't going to get until we get to heaven. There are some things that we just got to live by faith. I'm living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love because he knows better than I. 
if they wrote it all down, you know, John said there's not enough books to cover it all. And it's like, the fact is, if he, they wrote it all down, one, first and foremost, would we understand it? And two, would we live by it? Because we have the simplest of stuff already written for us, and a lot of us can't live by it anyway. So the voice from heaven said, keep secret the seventh under said, and do not write it down. So I think that's really interesting. And so he says, there will be no more delay when the seventh angel blows his trumpet. God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. So he's got that little scroll in his hand, and he says to him, to, to John, that he wants him to take the scroll and eat it. And he said, it's going to be sweet in your mouth, but sour in your stomach. So John takes the scroll, and he eats the scroll. And it was definitely sweet, but it got sour in his stomach. And then he tells him, you must prophesy again about to the many people, about the many nations, peoples, languages, and kings. So the scroll is obviously the word of God. And he wants us, the message is to live it, eat it, drink it, believe it, right? So the word is sweet, you know, it comes from Psalms. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What's the sour in my stomach then? Why is it sour? The sour in your stomach is when we sit it in there and we don't do anything with it. Because we find it difficult to share the word of God. And, you know, it's like when we have something, you know, I'm drinking coffee this morning and I, I just like it. But there comes a point where I drink enough coffee where it sits on my stomach and I need something else. You know what I mean? So my stomach needs to share space with something else, right? Well, the word of God, when it sits in you, if it's not being shared with someone else, then we fall into that trap of stagnation and it sours. What's that mean? Well, if you don't use it, you lose it. And I don't mean you necessarily lose your salvation, but Jesus said, Go make disciples of the nations. He didn't say sit around and wait for them to come to you. He said go. You know, a friend of mine always talks about go, and we are supposed to go. <laughs> and it's like, come on. We can't just wait for people. And then here's the thing. If we don't go and do it, then when the people actually come to us and the door opens before us, then because we haven't used it in so long and it's what do you do you know it we still miss the opportunities because we haven't shared in a long time and it's soured to the point that we still don't 
take the opportunity to share and it doesn't work out for us and we find ourselves not sharing the word because you know when it sours it eventually spoils so we really got to use the word and that's what this is about here so the next chapter we get into where he sees uh god giving him a measuring stick to go measure the temple and what's really cool about that is how God is depicting us to uh, show that he builds a wall of protection about us. You know, I always pray over my wife and my kids and my church and my family that this, in Zechariah, I think it's chapter 3, that God said he would be a wall of fire protection around Jerusalem and protect them. And that's what he's really depicting here. And he will protect them from the nations. He protects us. So he builds this wall of fire around his church, right? We are his church, his followers, his believers, right? And it says, so don't, but don't measure the outer, outer courtyard because it's been turned over to the nations. Those are the non-believers, the people that don't, believe and so he says then there's going to be two witnesses out there that are going to be witnesses clothed in burlap and they're going to prophesy for 1260 days 1260 days is three and a half years three and a half years is half a seven remember seven represents completion right that's their their good number in hebrew so we got three and a half years what's going to represent incompletion things aren't done yet right this whole thing is about being complete and or incomplete right so in this chapter we get a sense and a remembrance of how things come to be through the messiah right and these two witnesses really are kind of representing a, i mean they can some scholars believe the their reflection of moses and Elijah because they have power right and they say these are like the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth and if anyone tries to harm them fire flashes from their mouth this is like when Elijah called down fire to consume you know at the altar that he built when he was uh, battling the prophets back in his day all the false prophets you know, and, you know, and it goes back into they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood. See, Moses did that when he was there. They can call down every kind of plague. Moses did that. So there's this likeness that they have and they're going to do this for this three and a half years. Right. And then when they complete their testimony, they're going to die. Right. All right, so the story's kind of switching here. They're going to complete their testimony, three and a half years. Think about what Jesus did. His ministry lasted a little, like three years, and then he died, right? The man part of Jesus, the physical part of Jesus, right? Satan thought he had eclipsed him, and he died, right? Right? 
And if you ever watched Passion of the Christ, you can see Satan lurking through the people when Jesus is going through all his persecution. And they and, and when this man died, when these two witnesses die, remember Jesus, when he dies, he, he cries out, why have you abandoned me? Father, Father, why have you abandoned me? The Lord abandons the sin of him. I'm not going to have anything to do with the sin. You can't look upon the sin that Jesus carries. It's still his son. So the, there's two there, him and, him and his son. You know, and basically the Holy, the Holy Spirit is lurking there with him. So he's not alone, right? And so for three days, the people are going to look at these guys Right, so for three days the people are wondering what's going on with this whole Jesus thing. They're all wondering. They're they're even though he's in a tomb, they're all wondering what is going on. And they they place guards outside the temple because <laughs> they're like worried about it. But like with these guys, after three and a half days, God breathed life into them, and they stood up. Terror struck all who were staring at them, and a loud voice from heaven called to these. Come up here, and they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. See, that's just like what happened with Jesus, all right? So what's that telling us? When we do what the Lord wants us to do, and we follow Jesus, and we are his witnesses, we are virtually indestructible until the calling on our life is finished, and then if we persevere and we're done, and when he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant, and we think it's done, he's calling out to us and says, come up here and join us, because that's when life really begins. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. And what's really cool about that is when when you remember uh, when Jesus died, there was this terrible earthquake, and it says there was a terrible earthquake, and it destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in the earthquake, and everyone was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. <laughs> I mean, Really? That's impressive, right? There's so many similarities there to what took place at Jesus' timeline and what the witnesses are going through. And it's a parallel to, I mean, when I always talk about how the Old Testament is cyclic, life is cyclic. So the things that Jesus went through if we live our life, we want to be like Jesus. We always say, I want to be like Jesus. But, you know, along with Jesus was persecution. But the truth of the matter is if we follow Jesus to the T and do what Jesus did and do what Jesus does and love like Jesus does, right here it is written that when life ends, we go to heaven because he calls us with a loud voice, come up here. And they rose to heaven in a cloud. If we are his witnesses, don't let it sour. We don't want to let it sour in our belly. So remember he said that when the seventh trumpet blows, all things will be finished. 
and all the secrets of heaven will be revealed, right? So now the seventh trumpet's going to blow. And there were loud voices shouting heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and its Christ and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. So the 24 elders, remember them? Way back earlier, I think it was in chapter probably 8. Well, it was earlier than that. It's probably 4. They're sitting around the throne with their faces to the ground and they're worshiping and they're singing that song, We Give Thanks to the Lord for He is Good, the One who is and always was. And now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the Ark of the Covenant could be seen inside the temple. See, when Jesus died on a cross and the, the veil was rent in two, we had our direct connect and we could pray down. We can pray down heaven. We're no longer separated. And we can pray down heaven and we can have on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray that. It's available to us right now. And Jesus, when he would walk the earth in those three years plus, would say, the kingdom of heaven is near. And people, we can have that. It can be right here with us. And that's so cool because it's right there. He's showing John, look, man, it's here. It's available. It's now. And with so many times we read Revelation, we got to think it's coming, but it's already here. We just got to pray. We just got to ask. We just got to be in the presence. And, you know, my friend, Pastor Corey Jones, talks about that all the time. He teaches that. He preaches that. He makes those encounters possible to us by showing us through the power of the Holy Spirit that heaven on earth is real if we so desire. Heaven is our end stage, not our mid stage. Heaven is where we go after this life. Heaven is not an unobtainable process that we can never secure before we get through this life. Heaven can be here and we can experience it if we worship and pray in the spirit, which Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4 that we got to worship and pray in the spirit. And I don't know about you, but that excites me if you can't tell in my voice. And I want that. And it all goes back to Revelation 10. Don't just eat the word and let it sour in our stomachs because we are complacent, going through the motions, doing nothing with it. Let's be the witnesses that are known to be protected by that wall of fire and let's make a difference. Remember Paul said, if God is for me, who can be against me? <laughs> And those witnesses are the ones that show it. Paul, you know, the Hebrew writer is the one that said that, I think it's in Hebrews 3, that the word is like a two-edged sword, sharp enough to cut through bone and marrow. And man, 
I don't know about you, but that's good. So, I mean, man, I could spend a long time on that because that's so huge. We got, you know, we don't have to look ap apocalyptic in this. We can look to the here and now and what it means right now. Because when we get to Revelation 12, we're in Revelation 12, we get to see really a lot about how this whole thing, you know, we want to look at the Antichrist and all this stuff about the Antichrist, but this is really like reflecting on the birth of Christ because he says, I saw, then I witnessed an event in heaven and even grace significant. I witnessed this woman who clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet and crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she was giving birth and there's this dragon waiting, seven headed dragon, 10 horns, and he was waiting to, to, uh, devour it so devour her baby right i mean this is a reflection of mary when she had her baby and king herod wanted to kill all of the firstborns right and he was tricking the the three wise men hey tell me where he's born but she, he didn't get it done right because after the baby's born um he was unsuccessful because god protected him because the son was to rule all the nations with an iron rod and her child was snatched away from the dragon, was caught up to God and to his throne, it says in verse five. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place for her for guess how many days? 1260, a three and a half year period again. And then there was war. Remember Archangel Michael? He's the warrior angel. Gabriel's the information angel. And the dragon lost. That's that war in heaven between good and evil. This is, this is the whole story of where Satan gets kicked out of heaven. And the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels which are the demons. And I heard a loud voice shouting across heaven. It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Remember John wrote, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and nothing was created without him and everything was created through him. John's getting a history lesson. This is how it all comes to be. So we're getting that too. And a lot of times we want to only look at this as, you know, in the apocalypse, the what's coming to be. This has already happened. This is how it all came to be. This is why we had Jesus come to us to begin with because Satan kicked was kicked out. Satan was pushed to the earth and made, it says, he was made, the dragon realized he'd been thrown down to the earth. He pursued the women who had given the birth to the man. And uh, we have safety in the blood of the lamb by, their test, by our testimony. And the dragon who was angry with the woman declared war against the rest of her children and all those who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony. So now... The dragon, who is Satan, he is against anyone who follows God. And so we get that 
loud and clear in chapter 12. And so chapter 13, which is well known for being the Mark of the Beast chapter, which we'll get to, talks about the beast of the sea. There's two beasts, right? And we get that first beast. And, you know, the beast of the sea comes out and he's the the one that has the, oh man, it's like this one is one of the evil angels that comes out and he's the one that tries to pursue people and he's the one that wages war against God's holy people and it's one of Satan's entities, right? And he's the one that goes and messes with people all the time. And my watch thinks I'm trying to call somebody. Sorry. And so clearly it says all the people who belong to the world worship the beast, this Satan, and his entities. Remember, Paul wrote in Ephesians 6 that we don't wage war against people. It's against Satan and his principalities. And they are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. See, we get this history lesson that everything that happened with Christ happened before we ever got to see it. So what we're getting told here is, look, man, that's cyclic, right? So we're going to endure it. People had to endure it. So this means God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful because Satan's going to get rougher because out of the earth's going to come the real Satan, right? This is what everyone goes into the Antichrist. He's going to be bigger. He's going to be better. He's going to have him make a statue to the first beast who had fatally been wounded, right? And he's going to make people worship it. And if you don't worship it, you're going to die. And you got to think about that. It goes clear back to Genesis 1 where he wanted Eve to worship the fruit by eating it. You won't die. But yet when she did, she died. See how he manipulates you into thinking that? So he requires everyone, here's the thing, everyone, small, great, rich, and poor, free, and slave, to give them the mark on the right hand or the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without it. And this mark, wisdom, is needed here. Let anyone with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So here's what's interesting about that number. If we looked at that number and we tried to figure it out, uh, the number is obviously short of sevens, right? So we know that it's not perfection, all right? 
But the Greek letters of Nero, Emperor Nero, who was Roman, and remember the Roman Empire, that was our biggest persecution time of their, their, their era. If we did the numbers for the Greek Empire, uh, Emperor Nero, his numbers for his name were 666. And it's an unholy trinity because he was a very harsh, persecuting person, right? So what really what we're trying to get at is that, remember, God marks his people. And anybody who isn't marked with the mark of God is going to carry the mark of the Antichrist or Satan. And we're like thinking, oh, I'm going to have a mark on my hand. I'm going to have a mark on my forehead. Here, We're marked, period. We are marked by our actions, our reactions, and our interactions. And so people, you know, are looking for physical signs. But I'm here to take that up a mark and say we are marked by our actions, reactions, and interactions. So if you have the mark of God, it's written all over your face, just like it was with Moses when he came down Mount Sinai. And if you aren't a child of God and your name is not on the book of life right now, and you're serving someone who's anti-Jesus, you know, because people will get freaked out about the word antichrist. Okay, then let's call it anti-Jesus. Then that's going to reveal that mark too in our actions, reactions, and interactions. So, well, what about on the forehand? Okay, on the back of your hand or your forehead. Okay, well, think of where your words come out. They come out your face, okay, and attached to your face is your forehead. And think about the common gestures that people make with their hands, especially when they're using, you know, when they're flying birds, if you know what I'm saying. All caught up in actions, reactions, and interactions. So what's really good and what our promise is today is God's holy people must endure perse persecution patiently and remain faithful because those whose names are written in the book of life <laughs> have that wall of protection around them because God knows. Isn't that awesome? And he's going to protect and the big thing is, I, we, I stress this because we always want to put a timeline on it. But remember, a year is like a thousand years to God and a thousand years is like a year. So for us to be literal and legalistic in these writings, it's just not for us. There's a reason why he told John in chapter 10 Hey, don't write these secrets down. Some of these you just can't understand. Because there's a lot of things that we write that we just can't understand.
So on this Wednesday, let's be sure of one thing. Before we get into this next new year, let's be sure of one thing. I'm a child of God. I want to be a witness. I want to eat the word, and I don't want it to go sour. I want to be a witness, protected, and know that my God reigns and how awesome is our God. Have a great Wednesday. We'll see you Friday as we take a day of rest tomorrow. Help.